Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zockey. Welcome to the Final Inspection Show. I'm Steve Zaki along with Jeff Orlowski. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, it's always bad to be away from the greatest racing show on radio. I've heard that. Yeah, I missed it. I missed it. I had to do a little farm aid action last weekend and uh, got nice and soaked and, and wet over at Alpine Valley, but uh, but it was fun. You were farming? I was helping helping the struggling helping the family farms that need our help, Steve. I was doing my part for society. Uh, I figure that would be my good deed for the year. Just one? I didn't. I don't want to spoil anybody. Well, I suppose. How is Alpine Valley? Awesome, like always. You know, I. Uh, Whoever runs that place is, does an absolute horrible job because I don't know how they don't have concerts there every single weekend when that awful amphitheater in Chicago in Tinley Park, mm-hmm. you know, they're booked all the time, and that's the worst place in the world to see a concert. You have Alpine Valley, which is gorgeous. The sound is great, and uh, you can tailgate there. The people that work there are nice and treat you right. And uh, they have what? You know, I know one year, a couple years ago, they had zero concerts. And uh, they averaged maybe four. So uh, they're not doing a good job running that place, I'll tell you that. It kind of reminds me of the Milwaukee Mile in a way, how it's underutilized in that. Yeah. But, uh, they, they, I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember. I was out there for the first time back in the late 70s. Okay. When I was very small. I'm not. I'm not that old, but yeah, I was out there when I was a. Uh, uh, I'm not a pre-teenager, but I was pretty young. Who'd you see? Uh, Chicago. Okay. Old Chicago when they were really good. Okay. Back in 1978, I think it was. I was one. In and um, oh, I met a crazy Vietnam vet in the parking lot, and you know, I, I you know he. It was, let's put it this way, it was a wild scene. 
Oh, I bet. You know, the, and, and there were no cell phones back then or anything. Cause I mean, the stuff, you know, I mean, it was a different time. Let's put it that way. Well, that's, what's fun about all these, uh, you know, the festivals, summer fest, um, you know, state fair, anything at Alpine, anytime when you get a huge crowd, the people watching is part of the, you know, some of the right. best parts. Because you see, you know, obviously it's all walks of life, all different ages and, and types of people. And so you see a little bit of everything. I was out there in 89 for the Who. Okay. I bet some, that was awesome. Some twice. And it was funny. It was the Grateful Dead were there the week before. Okay. And there were still people in the parking lot <laughs> from the week before. That's oh, funny. That's a party. That's funny. I mean, you're, you're, you're this, the next weekend you're still there. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they smelled fantastic. Oh yeah, it was once again. It was a wild scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it's. Um, and then I was there for the Stevie Ray Vaughan, and I'm trying to remember. I was there for Stevie Ray Vaughan's final uh, concert. I'm trying to remember if I've been there since. I gotta think I was, but it's. What's sad, the Who were there this earlier this year, so they've had concerts out there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's closer. I'm closer to where I live now. I'm closer to Alpine Valley than Summerfest. Okay. And it was weird just, I mean, having the Who so close to me because that's one of my favorite bands and not going. But I've seen the Who now probably a half dozen times over the last 20, 25 years. So. You still should have gone, you know. I, I know. It's I've just, seen Alice Cooper over yeah, 50 times and all that, but... I, uh, it just, but underutilized. That's a very good way to you put know, it. I would have, I would have probably traded all those in to see the Who in '82 in Milwaukee. Yeah, which I wasn't able to do. So, but that is uh, another story. Uh, racing, yeah, the Roval, Roval time. Watching practice yesterday, and 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 I just, yeah, it's it's kind of cool, you know. But I it just. The reason why is just, I just scratched my head. I mean, I understand it, it's cool. They're doing something about it. But I, I just go back to this 19, you know, let's go in the time machine and go back to 1992 and go, hey, Dale, Dale Earnhardt Sr., we're not going to run the oval. We're going to run the road course. He'd kick you right in the ass. Yeah. Yeah, he would. Yes, he would. Uh, you know, it, uh, another. In my humble opinion, another bad decision by NASCAR. Another well, let's overreaction. Not, let's, well, let's not fix the car. Let's right. fix the track. Yeah, don't fix the problem. Fix the optics. And uh, you know, and then last year, the track wasn't ready. It was. It was. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a mess. And uh, this year should be better. But uh, you know, it. I'm not a big fan. But obviously, I will sit and watch every lap again. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I, I hope it's entertaining. I like these toss-up races. Um, you know, obviously, you know me. I'm not a huge fan of, of road course racing at all. I prefer ovals. Um, you know, but that said, Charlotte has gotten got boring. And instead of fixing the cars and... Uh, and, you know, taking away the splitter and all that other kind of stuff, they just decide, nah, let's just uh, 
you know, spice it up a little bit, create a few more turns and a little more chaos. And, uh, you know, but we're a sport that's all about safety. So, you know, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. And, you know, let's, hey, let's, let's just throw this right into chase, too. So, you know, let's make this in the playoffs and, uh, you know, have a chance to completely screw up uh, everybody's, uh, everybody's season. Like uh, what happened in the truck series, you know, with all those engines getting blown up. And then you have the engine manufacturer and NASCAR come out and say, yeah, our fault. But there's still guys that got eliminated because their cars blew up. And guys that got disqualified, too. Yeah. So, you know, it uh, another another week in racing. It, it, it is kind of frustrating where you see so many people saying, you know, this is how you would fix it. And they just seem to be a little bit, bit tone deaf. And you know, I we will we'll have Dennis Michelson on in the, in, the, in the next half hour here, but you know, it 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 harkens back to let let's make the cars, let's let, let's go back to where the cars when the racing was good, that style. I mean, I, I'm not saying we need to get rid of all the safety aspects of it. I'm saying let's 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 be able to put a little bit of air underneath those cars, right? Let's let's dirty them up a bit more, and instead of this huge ass spoiler they have on the back of that thing right which they have to it has to be clear um because it's so big you know that top part of it is clear so actually on tv if you're not paying attention you don't even realize that spoiler is that big right you know it, it this now going in the way back machine back in the early 80s you had usac and asa racing stock cars and nascar and asa had bigger bigger spoilers not even as big as, as as these but they were they were bigger than the use what usac and nascar was running and it was kind of like a well you know real men run with smaller spoilers you know they we they we we don't need that crutch right and and now you look at that thing and say like, holy cow and it's the same thing as sprint car racing running with wings and that and i know the whole debate with yes wing cars are safer because when the car gets upside down they do slow but there's another part of me that says, you know, hey, I, you don't need a wing to race. Right. It's just you and the machine. You know, the fact that uh, they are changing these cars where, you know, everything comes down to arrow, where the drivers are basically just pedal to the metal. No one has to lift. You don't have to shift anymore. Uh, you know, they're just, they, they're making it way too easy to drive. And, you know, it goes back to, something that a lot of the drivers were complaining about earlier where you can sit there and see any driver you want in the field. So if, if, you know, I would be watching the last two races from Truex to find out when he lifted, if he did lift and how he drove on every single track, you know, what are you doing? That's like, that's worse than the cliff notes version of a race. You know, you're just sitting there and, you know, like when Harvick was dominating Atlanta for a handful of years there and no one, no one could catch him at Atlanta. To sit there and just totally take away the advantage that him and his team figured out at that track by having every single driver be able not only to see the exact line 
when he gets in the corner, how he gets in the corner, where his tire, his left tires are, are they on the line, are they just below the line, just above the line. But to find out when he lifts, you know, does he touch the brake? Does he tap the brake? Does he drag the brake? You know, to see all of that is just unreal to me. I, I don't understand. And, you know, it's again, it's just not going in the, in the, in the right direction. Big show coming up. Uh, we have not the big show, but a big show. Uh, of course, we'll be talking more NASCAR coming up uh, in the next segment here with uh, Jeff and I. We have Dennis Michelson in the second half of the f- first hour. And then at the top of the second hour, after the sports flash, we'll be talking with the, it's the triumphant return of Tony DeZeno. Yeah. Yeah. Big so, Tony coming yeah. back. Uh, we're all wearing blue and yellow today for Marquette. And uh, we'll have Tony on. Who? Don't cut that. Out. I don't root for Marquette. No, come on, Tony. Tony's a Marquette. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and nobody's he still perfect. hangs out with us. That's nobody's perfect. Thing. We hang out with him. We well, allow him to hang out. Dwayne with Dwayne Wade us. was on uh, uh, the, the the pregame show, the the football uh-huh. show, and he was not wearing blue and gold. So I'm going to ask him about that. Well, call I him don't up. know how you can be on a college show and 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 not have your school colors on because it was at Camp Randall. It was well, and well, Gabrielle Union, his wife, was there, and she was wearing red and white, but for Nebraska. And he was wearing, I think, a Nebraska type thing. He looked, yeah, not not it's not for me to say. You know, he did, but he he looked a little chunky. Who cares? I don't. But I just I was surprised. You know, if, uh, Dwayne, you want to go grab dinner? Give me a call. I'm fat too. Let let's <laughs> eat, bro. Let's sit down and eat. And, of course, this show is brought to you by Great Lakes Dragway. And uh, the Hostel Takeover Drift event is back this weekend. Uh, today and tomorrow, uh, due to the magnitude of this event, they did not have any uh, testing available. So it's all dirt. They got to do stuff with the track. So a lot. It's it, if you like drifting, get out to Great Lakes Dragway this weekend. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful. I mean, for a week that was so sketchy with with rain and whatnot it's it's a beautiful fall day right now so get out to great lakes dragway see some pretty cool drifting these guys are uh, pretty talented and how they're able to do that is just beyond me but uh yeah it's a good uh good show so get out uh, for this week in great lakes dragway for some drifting and i also like to thank david hobbs honda for their support and we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk roval roval racing on the final inspection show Final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Make sure you get out to Great Lakes Dragway this weekend for a drifting action. 
all weekend long at Great Lakes Dragway and also David Hobbs Honda. Make sure you check out the best in new and used vehicles at davidhobbs.com. Check it out. And Jeff Orlowski joining me in studio for the final inspection show. Talking auto racing and more. Oh, so, yeah. um... A lot of, lot of stuff going on this week in the world of NASCAR, though. Yeah. I guess the big surprise is uh, the Ricky Stenhouse. Story. Yeah. You know, that uh, that is a, that was kind of surprising. You know, him going to get replaced by Chris Buescher. Uh, okay, you're Jack Roush. Do you make that move? Yeah. You know, Ricky's the only guy that, that has br- brought your team wins since Carl Edwards has left. Uh, but... Ricky Stenhouse is not a competitive top 10 driver week in, week out. I saw the press conference, and I thought it was an absolute brilliant bit of honesty when Jack Ross said, we have to work on getting our cars faster instead of repairing them. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that was a, and another Ricky point. And Ricky has, a, has, a, ten, has a, a reputation for driving like a ball, a bowling ball is going downhill. Right. Yeah, he has no problem laying the chrome horn to anybody and everybody. You know, he has caused so many wrecked race cars in the last three years alone. You know, Ricky Stenhouse, if he had to pay, let's just say every insurance company on God's green earth (laughs) would sit there and would have dropped his ass a long time ago. So, uh... You know, he, he does a lot of damage, and he doesn't produce enough to make it work worth it. And he won twice on, on the toss-up super speedways. Uh, those were, you know, his two wins. And um, But everybody has a chance at Daytona and Talladega. So, you know, congratulations. You can't take it away from him. It was, you know, a great job for, for him and, uh, and brought Rouse. Uh, Roush, you know, a trophy and or two and and stuff like that. But yeah, he's getting outperformed by Chris Busher now. Did you see any of the driver interviews that they do weekly? Did you see the Ryan Newman interview? I did not. I'm going to show you a photo of Ryan Newman. See if you, what anything jumps out at you. He looks. Well, his hair is going away. What? No, his hair has made a comeback. Oh well, yeah, it's patchy. His it's hair patchy. Is, is his, that that hairline's moved down about three inches, if not four? Yeah. What's it? Um, you know, you drive through Illinois, you see all those Urlacher. Uh, right. Oh, I think yeah, yeah, I believe yeah. And he looks worse with hair than he did bald. I don't know. I just, you know, let's put it this way: there is no better time. In, in, in the history of mankind, except maybe being an Egyptian, maybe in the pyramid times with the little, you know, <laughs> they shaved their heads. But seriously, no, there's no better time to 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 be bald than today. Right. Because it's stylish. A lot of people do it. And I always get frustrated by the guys who have hair that shave their heads. It's like, dude, you have hair. Use it. No. You know, I, I have hair, but as the joke is, I have hair, but yet I'm bald. I have hair, but I've got, you know, my uh, my forehead keeps getting bigger. It's George Costanza said, this is the remnants of a once great civilization. Yeah, a forehead becomes a five head. 
So it uh, it keeps moving up a little higher and higher every year, but I wear a hat all now, the time Kenny, anyway. Kenny Wallace admits that he had hair transplants, and he says that's one of the reasons why I was able, to be honest, to, be, to stay on TV because every time I made some money, I'd go out and get some hair transplants. Yeah. And you did that for many, many, and you can, you can see it, you know. Right. And there's guys out there, and I there's te- te- television personalities locally that have that have hair pieces and that because for a lot of uh, of uh, you know for TV and that you know hair hair is still very important. Well, and then you have Scott Van Pelt, yeah. so hugely successful as a bald man. So you know it goes both ways, um, but you know whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe if I was bald, or uh, I would care more. But you know, you have hair, you don't have hair. Tomato, tomato. Who cares? Uh, I just wonder. I mean, it costs a lot of money. Yeah, I, I, I guess it, it, it it's something. I, 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 God bless them. I mean, I, I'm just. I if well, I know you know I always wondered if I had the. If I had the ability and the money to do that, would I do it? I'm not sure if I would or not. Uh, what do you think of the turtles? You know what I'm talking about? No. Yeah, in the chicane, they call the the curbing turtles because oh. they're they they I guess look like little turtle shells. Um, how many is that going to be? I understand why they're there and they should be there, I guess. But how much havoc do you think that's going to? cause during the race probably a, a decent we're amount lose some cars because of broken suspensions in that well good are you we know. no i'm asking do you, th- you think yeah you i think so and uh and i think that's good i you know we talked about this a couple weeks ago where these cars are it is hard to have a mechanical failure nowadays in nascar when obviously when we were growing up watching these races, it was a handful of you know I see a car blowing up about every forty laps, right? Yeah, Come, you know, boom, four or five engines a race would sure. blow, and you know you're rooting for your guy. All of a sudden, Kablamo. You're fifteen, eighteen races in, your guy's doing great in the points, and you start getting nervous because he hasn't blown an engine yet this year, and mm-hmm. you know it's coming. You know he's going to blow two or three over the course of the year, so it's like. Well, I hopefully the race he blows the engine, the guys on top of him in the point standings have a bad day as well. So you knew it was coming. Now the cars are so bulletproof that no one blows an engine anymore. Uh, you know, except that truck race. It's very, uh, yeah, it's very unusual. Um, he, uh, you know, it, and it, it's crossed most sanctioning bodies. IndyCar too. Right. Remember Honda went like, uh, well, they said they went oh, for two and a half years without an engine blow up, but I know they were lying on one because I was Tony Kanana in Milwaukee. I was just happened to be standing next to his pit when he pulled in and there was oil pissing out everywhere. Right. That was a blown engine. I mean, it was. Oh, it was a broken of, line. It, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not on both sides of the engine. <laughs> but yeah, it was, you know, so, you know, they, they do like to fudge their bets. You know, it's like, uh, it's, I always get kicked out like a, with, you know, it's not a tire failure. It was equalized, you know, you, you oh, don't, yeah. you know, there's those old things. Uh, come on, whatever. You know, we, we understand that. Oh, it's not break. the tire's fault. They didn't inflate it properly. Yeah. We give them the minimum air pressure that yeah. should be, uh, be in the tire, knowing full damn well that none of these teams are listening to it. 
And so you always have that built-in excuse, well, it was the team's fault because they didn't inflate the tires the way that we recommended they do. Looking at the Charlotte track, is there anything you would change? Uh, I would get rid of the whole damn thing. Well, the Roval race. I I wonder if it's if it's too much on the infield part of it. You know, with the little kind of mini phallic looking thing in the you know. I wonder if they would have been just fine doing the two chicanes, and then maybe just a little kind of a one kind of curve type thing in turn one and two. You know. Coming in turn one, where they come in now, but just kind of making it a little S turn or maybe something. Well, if it was me, Steve, to be honest with you, I would just make it a figure eight course and <laughs> and let these guys have at it. You know, you want to throw a toss up race in there? Oh my God, throw a figure eight out what, there. <laughs> the ratings that would be their best rated race. You get you, you yeah, absolutely. Of course it would. Humpy Wheeler probably would have went for it back in the day. You know, it uh, think outside the box instead of uh, figure instead eight. of inside the roval. They got all that side protection now and everything. You might as well, you know. And obviously, you're not going to have them going 160 when they enter the eight. But you know, you have them have a chicane on both sides, and they're coming out of the chicane going maybe 80, 90, 100. You know, they hit each other. They hit each other. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome, man. <laughs> but the race would, you know, it would have to be like a, a 25 lap race because, you know, well, they could it, do that. I don't think you could do that with all those cars. You would just do it with just the chase drivers or the playoff drivers. Yeah. Throw 16 out there. There you go. <laughs> that would be awesome. First four, first four <laughs> can't drive any further. You're out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you want nuts. Let's get nuts. Hello. Um, another thing I got was, was funny was, uh, you know, they had some incidents, you know, Joe Nemechek and, and Denny Hamlin had some issues mm. and with the way the cameras, the TV cameras are set up, you can see the, the track photographers there or just, you know, whatever print photographers or whatnot. And I was getting really pissed. I'm like, and I, now I realized they don't really have the correct lens on there. They have, they were running with, it looked like, uh, you know, 500 mm lenses or something. So they didn't have really the, the best lens to shoot because the action was close enough for them. But at least, at least stop and shoot. Just, just crank it all the way back and try and get a shot. Right. And there's just the car hits the wall and they're like, they'll keep, just keep walking. I'm like, well, you're out there to document. Right. Something just happened. Take a shot. Hello. Well, I got the wrong lens. And I know that would, that's what they would say. I don't have the right lens on, but still, I, I just, and, and, and my feeling is, well, okay, then maybe just put, cause I've shot and I've used now granted, I've never had like four lenses. I usually would just work with uh, two or three lenses, a long lens, a shorter lens, and maybe a wide angle for pit actions and that, but still you would change if you're going in between places, walking somewhere. You would put like your middle lens on or something just in case something happens because you're there. You never know when something is going to happen. I'm just, I've seen these guys, all this action's going on. They're not taking photos. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Um, have you ever shot, have you ever shot racing? No. Photography? No. 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 I'm not a big picture guy. Oh. I don't like being in them. I don't really enjoy <laughs> taking them. Uh, you know, I, uh, it, you know, it sucks now. 
because there's so much safety stuff. Yeah. Back when, when things were far more reckless, it was a lot more fun. Oh, I bet. You could put yourself into places of real peril. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, I remember the first time I took my wife to the Milwaukee Mile and we, we got, I got her a pass and, and, and I'm, I was shooting out in turn one before they had all this stupid fencing there and that. So everything was wide open. I'm like, you know, a car comes towards us. You know, you mean you have to pay attention. Right. You know, and these are the conversations that these parents don't have with their kids when they go to baseball games now. Right. You know, you got to pay attention. You know, put the phone, give me the phone, you know, because it's, it can get dangerous down here. So I had the conversation, like, you got to pay attention. You know, if a car comes, I'm not grabbing you. I'm running. It's you're, it's up to you to get yourself out of the way. Now, granted, I know a car coming to the inside is probably not going to happen, but you never know, you know? Right. So I'm like, pay attention. I was like, and that was, I mean, I remember the first time I went to the track, uh, with my dad, I was a kid, you know, he, and he had that conversation. You know, I remember him telling me, uh, even when you're in the infield, you got to pay attention, always be looking because there might be an incident and a fire truck has to go on the other side or that, and they're not going to stop. You know, I, and I always remember that. You just always be paying attention, always be aware of your surroundings. Yeah, um, well, it's not like that anymore. You know, no. you don't pay attention at a baseball game. So, you know, they'll, uh, they'll just expand the nets and, uh, you know, extend the netting down farther. So, you know, to help protect the idiots. And, uh, you know, it uh, it's with everything. You know, it's not your fault that you weren't looking and uh, you had your eyes buried in your phone. It's not your fault you were passed out drunk and got hit in the head with a baseball. You know, we'll, we'll make you safe no matter what. Yeah. Uh, you know, that way you can keep buying beer. And, uh, you know, it, it it's brutal. But on that note, Let's take a break. Let's bring, uh, when we come back, we'll talk to Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media, and we'll kind of dig in a little more detail, the Roval. I want to get his opinion on the Bowman-Austin-Dillon rivalry that, uh, yes, you know, kind of started at Richmond. Yeah, granddad. Granddad gets into it. You know, uh, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Did you see the the meme? Yeah. with, I, w- I wish he was my granddaddy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would have been a nice silver spoon to uh, be born with. Yeah, all right. Let's take a break here when we come back. Dennis Michelson on the other side here on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan, Steve Zaki, Jeff Orlowski, talking everything motorsports. This portion of the show is brought to you by Coach's Pub and Grill on South 13th Street. 
Uh, cheer for the green and gold and Wisconsin. Enjoy specials on Miller and Coors during the games, plus giveaways and raffles at Coaches on South 13th and Lake Danoon. Oh, Badgers, they currently are, uh, they currently hold the lead over uh, Northwestern at halftime, but it's only 7-3. They were 24-point favorites entering that game. That's a hell of a lot closer than expected. They always play those games tight for some reason. Yeah, I know. They always, Northwestern is kind of a a horror show for uh, Wisconsin, but you are ready to go to the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, bring in our buddy. Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media. How are you doing, sir? Gentlemen, I am so glad that you got my right theme song today to bring me back uh, from break there. That, you know, Disturbed, that's like the story of my life. It really pretty sums it, sums it up in a n- nutshell, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But always great to be out with you guys. So are you excited for the Rovo? No. Um, oh, come on now. I was asked earlier this week to give a one-word description of the Roval. And the first word, you know how you play the, those word association games, and if you play them right, you, it really tells you a lot about how you feel about something. Oh, yeah. You know, because that, that first word that you blurt out real quick is always unedited. And then you think about it, and then you might, you know, use a different word. But the word that popped into my mind when I was asked to play word association about the Roval was gimmick. That was it. It's not that it's a horrible gimmick. It's not that it's a horrible idea. But it's a gimmick. It's, it's a result of you screwing up the rules package so bad over the last five years taking away horsepower and adding downforce, the opposite of what Dan Gurney always told us to do. And I believe in Dan Gurney. Uh, you got to the point where to sell tickets, you had to try something new, and that's what they did. Yeah, we mentioned that in the you know, first half of the hour here, that you know they screwed up the car so bad that they had to adjust the track to compensate and, for it. And here's the ironic thing, Z-Man. Now the rule package is giving us better mile-and-a-half racing this year. They, you know, against my better judgment, you know, and it's basically the huge spoiler on the back, cutting a huge hole in the, in the, uh, in the air. So while arrow is still very important and arrow-type things are there, if you have a track where you can manufacture a second groove, of a mile and a half or two mile track. The racing has been okay. I still don't like the fact that it's a rule package where guys don't have to lift a Darlington, but it has given us better racing than what we've seen the last few years with the package. So in that way, it's an improvement over the last couple of years, which have been really bad, but you turn back the clock just to 2014. I mean, we're talking five seasons ago, and the racing was insanely great at every large track, and now it's gone the other way. That's what I don't think that they understand right now in NASCAR, and that's why you got the gimmick. But I don't fault Charlotte for coming up with a gimmick that sells tickets because at the end of the day, this is all about entertainment. It's all about making money, 
and this is the way that they thought they could do it within this rule package. Well, Steve asked me how I would change the Roval as well, and along your gimmick lines, I said I would just dump it all together and go to a figure-eight race. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that would be exciting. I think the TV audience on that would be huge. Uh, you would just have to sit there and, and make sure that, you know, you were able to to scrape the cars off the track very quickly so it didn't turn into a 10-hour affair. But throw a figure eight out there. What the hell? Or let them do like they do at Rockford Speedway in, in some of the Roadrunner races. You know, race on the mile and a half, but make them race in, in reverse. You know, make them back up the whole way. I mean, it's going to be mayhem. It's going to be a gimmick. But, again... This is the NASCAR playoffs. This is playoffs. This is the playoffs. And we're changing the rules again because, again, without any testing, without any time on the track, they changed the backstretch chicane again. And so you're, you're talking an elimination race where four guys' season is going to be done for a chance at the championship, and you're changing the track to an untested version, this is why he had a problem last year. And all that last year came down to was a crash that excited people. Well, I guess that lived up to the stereotype. That's well, the reason some NASCAR fans tune in is for crashes. You know, it's not like the, you know, the track is conveniently located, Dennis. Now, come on. <laughs> yeah, we had practice. Uh the practice number two just concluded a bit ago, and it was Ryan Blaney. I don't think that's a surprise, and I think we've been expecting a little more from Ryan Blaney this year. He's quickest. A little bit of a surprise with Ryan Priest in second, Joey Logano third, and the other Penske car. Jimmy Johnson pressures off. He's fourth with Denny Hamlin, who had to go to a backup car after his incident uh, yesterday. William Byron, who's been seeing some speed. Uh, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, and Chris Boucher, the renewed Chris Boucher, uh, running. And then uh, our, our our personal favorite, DeBurrito. Guido <laughs> is intense. So um, any surprises there? Uh, Ryan Priest has been looking kind of good. He's, he's, he's shown some glimpses in the second half of the season, hasn't he? Yeah, and, and this was an interesting race because, you know, unlike some places, it Here's the only good thing I will say about the um, about the Roval is that it is such a flaky track that the driver can make up some speed versus the car. Um, we saw it in qualifying yesterday, where guys might not have had the the best you know turn one, but they could gain a lot of ground. They could gain you know a couple of tenths if they hit the chicane just right. So this track at least leads itself to being able to, to do that. You know, and, and some of these guys, you know, that used to run Legends cars way back in the day are a little more familiar with this ruffle. Does That's that really matter? Come on. Hey, at least you know where the turns are. No, I'm just kidding. But it it's just a case where it's so unpredictable. You know, I'm a big statistics guy, as you know, whether it's racing, whether it's fantasy football. And in order to make a good guess on anything statistically, you have to have a minimum of three to five, uh, you know, units of, of performance to, to tell you whether there's a trend or not. 
there's no trend. We barely have five practices at this place over the last two years where everybody, you know, ran a lot of laps. So it, it's very uncertain what's going to happen here, but I'm glad to see guys running up front. And the interesting thing is Chris Boucher is a very underrated road course racer. He had a lot of success on the road course uh, during his, his Xfinity days. So that's a guy that I think will, will have a good, good week and what great timing if he were to come through with a big week you know jd jtg doherty did not pick up his option mainly because they thought they could get him at a lower price and lo and behold you know roush fenway goes and grabs him um so it's it's one of those cases where you know this would be great timing for him to have a strong performance we talked uh in the previous segment of uh, how roush Let's 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 be honest here. Basically, said uh, Stenhouse is gone because he's trashing cars all the time. Uh, in in uh, paraphrase Jack Ross, she said, uh, "We we want to make our cars faster instead of fixing them." <laughs> and he also did add. I thought this was interesting. Uh, somebody asked him point blank, you know, was it a mistake uh, letting go of, of Boucher? And he said, "Yeah." And he says, "I'm glad I'm, we were able to rectify that." Uh, were you kind of surprised by his candidness yesterday, or is that just an older guy who uh, you know doesn't have uh, three, you know what to give? That's Jack Roush being Jack Roush. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's asked straight out a question, he's going to give you an honest answer. He's not one of those guys that talks around the issue. You know, could you imagine though that first interaction this weekend? Um, between Ricky Stenhouse and Ryan Newman. I, I can kind of see him looking at Ryan and saying, hello, Newman. <laughs> you know, it just, to me, that was the reason that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is gone because Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was the better driver in the Roush camp when you were comparing him to Trevor Bain. Now that you have a driver of Ryan Newman's capability who can go out and have double-digit top 10 finishes for the year, something a Roush team has not done in about five years. And back then their drivers were known as Greg Biffle and Carl Edwards. You know, now you're in a situation where you show that those cars can get it done. And, you know, the first year that Newman's there and all of a sudden Stenhouse is out the door. I don't think that's a coincidence that they believed that their cars were the problem now they're realizing that one of their drivers may have been the problem. That's not to say Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is a bad driver. He's just not as good as, as Ryan Newman. Dennis, we're going to take a quick break and bring you back after a few commercials here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to uh, ask the question, is it okay for grandfathers to tell their sons to create mayhem on the racetrack? Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. <laughs> Final inspection. Final inspection. Now, Dennis Michelson of D Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove and David Absonda joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. From DMAC Media, it is Dennis Michelson. Welcome back, sir. Thank you, sir. Richmond, there was an incident. Uh, according to uh, Michelle uh, Martinelli from USA Today, 
in the second stage of the Federated Auto Parts 400 uh, Saturday night, Alex Bowman in the 88 Chevrolet was running on the inside of the traffic in traffic. He moved up a little and made slight contact with Austin Dillon's number three Chevrolet. Team owner and uh, Dillon's grandfather, Ch uh, Richard Childress, then instructed Bowman uh, to give immediate payback as soon as possible. And here is uh, paraphrasing from the number three's radio. Uh, let's see here. Richard Childress, move his ass back if you get to it. And then Danny Stockman, the crew chief, said, go get him back now. And uh, that's what happened. And afterwards, uh, or on the radio, Bowman said, I want to shove that silver spoon he's been fed on his whole life up his, and you can figure it out. Um, this doesn't do well for uh, what some people perceive as a definite silver spoon. You got uh, Richard Childress, who got his two grandkids in the cup racing and that with uh, some varied uh, results and, of course, they had some success in the lower uh, echelons, but uh, they've kind of struggled in the Cup Series. What says you, Dennis Michelson? Oh, you know, this isn't the first driver to bring up the Silver Spoon remark when it uh, came to Austin Dillon. In fact, uh, it was sort of implied by Kevin Harvick when he was, uh, you know, winding down his career there yes. at Richard Childress Racing. So it's nothing new. But this is more than anything else. This is a difference between old school racing of, you know, of yesteryear where everything that happened on the track between drivers happened on the track between the drivers again. You know, it wasn't, you know, tweet this, uh, social media that, or, you know, whatever. It was, hey, if you ran me rough, you ran me bad, you ran me dirty, I'm going to get you back. So it's nothing new in the scheme of racing. And saying the Silver Spoon thing is nothing new either. And in back when, you know, Austin Dillon and Ty Dillon were coming up through the ranks, there were other racers that were racing with the team at, at all of the levels. And Austin Dillon and Ty Dillon kept going up while the other guys didn't necessarily move up unless they had the money to do so. That's the prerogative of owning the team and having your grandkids in the team. Now, having said that, Austin Dillon hasn't been a complete embarrassment to the series either. So, you know, he's won some races. And, you know, is he going to be a champion in this sport? Well, I guess it's possible under the, the chase situation where you only need one really good race. But is he going to be a perennial top five in this series? No. But is he also the worst driver out there? No. He's somewhere in the middle ground. And last time I checked, being average at the highest level of stock car racing isn't all that bad. Yeah, that is true. And, uh, you know, Austin Dillon, he, he wins at Daytona and uh, gets the trophy tattooed on his butt. Uh, he better hope he never wins at Martinsville where he's got to get a grandfather clock tattooed on his ass uh, as well. But, um, you know, a, a lot of people have a problem with the fact that the car owner is telling you to go pay his ass back and the car owner is basically telling you to go intentionally cause a wreck. Now, if I'm Austin Dillon, I do the... I. Hell yeah, I pay him back. My boss is telling me to crash this guy. I'm going to go crash him. 
Uh, but that's me. So, and, you know, I'd probably want to do it anyway. But, you know, I think a lot of this is just blown up because Austin Dillon, he's not going to be running around uh, around Bowman much. He, his cars aren't good enough to, to sit there and, and hang with Alex Bowman. So I think unless he's, you know, uh, two laps down and Bowman's driving by him yet again, you know, I, I, I think this is kind of getting blown up for nothing. Yeah, and that's exactly what Alex Bowman said during his presser uh, this week before the Roval race is that he doesn't expect to see him out there too much because he's going to be ahead of him all the time. So, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it, it's fine. We've got to also remember that this isn't a team owner that is never on the radio jumping on the radio. Like Joe Gibbs is not active on race day on the radio for his teams. So if he had jumped on and said something, that would be highly unusual. Uh, but, you know, whether it's strategy moves or in some cases when they have a second spotter at some of the bigger tracks and at the road courses, Richard Childress is on the radio as an active spotter. So it's not like he is never heard from and now he's heard from. So to me, this is no different than having your crew chief basically telling you to go out there and dump the guy. Um, I didn't find it all that unusual. I found it more humorous of, of how Alex Bowman reacted. Yeah. yeah. Prediction time, Dennis. Who do you like in the Roval? Was it the Bank of America 500? Yeah, and I'm going to go with the guy that I've been going with because I think that what we're going to see throughout this playoff uh, run is that Kevin Harvick is going to have the, the most consistent performance week in and week out. So I'll take a chance on Kevin Harvick this week. I like Ryan Blaney. I think he's, he's That's due. That's a good pick. Yeah. That's a he's... good pick. I, I, Blaney is also a kind of guy that's used to, to handling. Like he, He's kind of an all, all-around all good driver. So I, I think this is a good good week to pick I, him, too. I, I just have a weird feeling, though, the, that Jimmy Johnson is somehow going to have a pretty prominent position in the finishing order somehow. Whether he he, I, he he does something that causes a crash or he has an unusually good run or something, I just feel that he's going to be in the mix somehow. He was running for the win last year. Right. Remember that. Yep. So, it's yeah, it, you know, Jimmy Johnson, the, obviously the crew chief change experiment did not work, but Jimmy Johnson's career is far from over. No, we'll see. I'm, uh, I'm going to go with a uh, – give me Kyle Larson. Another talented guy who can run on all different types of tracks. I'm going to go with Larson. He's, you know, he's having a crap year, so you know this this would help help save that. Is he beaten down, Dennis? How how beaten down I, is Kyle Larson? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to tell nowadays with these guys. Can you, you know? Can you imagine if this was? I'm sorry, I got to interrupt you. Can you imagine if this was 2004? What kind of bidding war there would be for Kyle Larson? Oh, yeah. 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 It's it's pretty incredible that, you know, we're in an era now where, you know, I, not to, to make light of the team he runs for by any means because they're so Oh, you can. Good, you can. They the suck. They're not, they're not the best it, it, in NASCAR. They never have been. They never will be. Can you imagine what what he would be able to do if he was running? for a Stuart Haas or a Penske mm-hmm. or a Joe Gibbs Racing. It, it just boggles the mind when you see what these guys do with lesser equipment. They'd be 
they'd be even bigger superstars. So, you know, it, it's that's kind of where I'm I am with him. But I'll tell you one thing: he's incredibly loyal too, and that's a good thing to see in racing. It might kill his career, but he's loyal, you know. Yeah, yeah. I love the kid, but yeah, I know. I, I just it's it, for a for for someone who's been watching him for a long time. It, it, it's just frustrating for me, you know. And then oh, you know what certainly. what's going to be really more frustrating is when I see the ninety five car in Victory Lane uh, twice next year and the forty two <laughs> not. So, you know, and these these are two kids that are you know pretty much neck and neck on the talent level. Dennis, thank you so much. We appreciate it. We look forward to talking to you uh, next week. All right, guys. Take care. Thank you. It's Dennis Michelson on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019? Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. We're going to talk some open wheel racing with Tony DeZino coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zockey. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Make sure you get out Great Lakes Dragway this weekend as they are drifting. Yes, drifting on the drag strip. Pretty impressive all weekend. Make sure you check it out. The weather is fantastic. Clear skies. Uh, what, temps in about high 60s? Yeah. Yeah, yeah mid, mid to upper 60s. A perfect day to sit there and grab uh, something to eat, a, a cold beverage or, or six, and uh, and watch yeah. some drifting. Watch them tear up some uh, rubber on the drag strip at Great Lakes Dragway. Also, David Hobbs Honda. Make sure you check out davidhobbs.com for all the latest in new and used vehicles at David Hobbs. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, from Parts Unknown, it is Tony DeZino. Welcome to the show, sir. <laughs> Not parts unknown, but great to be back. I was actually back in Milwaukee visiting some friends for the weekend. And, See, I was uh, trying to keep just... that a secret. Yeah. Now you're going to have people out looking for you. They're going to be getting in their cars right now. Tony's in town. Tony's in town. Let's go find him. Yeah. Yeah, some baby uh, some baby mamas you didn't know you had are going to be uh, trying to track you down, too. I mean, you know, we can't build up too much suspense. <laughs> I mean, there's a celebrity wedding this weekend. There's all sorts of stuff coming. I didn't want to bring that up on the public airways, but, you know, you... all right. So, yes, it's good to hear that you're in town. And uh, it's, it's, things are starting to wind down. Uh, IndyCar season is over. Uh, Joseph Newgarden is your champion. I guess he would have been the odds-on winner, correct, uh, if you were replacing uh, uh, Betts in Vegas in uh, February? Yeah, I mean, it was a nice bounce back year because last year he had a lot of highs, but he was too inconsistent. He kind of had a lot of sixth and sevens when he needed to have some thirds and fourths. And really, you know, toward the tail end of the season there, it looked like there were a couple mistakes that we thought we weren't able to, to get over. But he gelled well with another new engineer. He maximized his opportunities when he had it, um, had some great strategic wins, and really he had enough of a points buffer going into uh, Monterey at uh, Laguna Seca last week to not – afford a pitfall where he, he didn't have to win necessarily he was in a good enough position to hold on to it which he did 
And uh, yesterday he was at Charlotte and running in, in laps on the Roval at, at Charlotte. And, of course, there's a partnership between uh, NBC with uh, IndyCar and NASCAR. So they were fawning over seeing Joseph Newgarden, uh, you know, running laps at speed on track. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. was like, oh, this is so cool. And I was shocked to hear Clint Boyer say he's never seen an IndyCar race at speed in person. I was surprised by that. But, um, you know, how big could this be? I mean, are we looking do, – do, do you think down the line we're going to see IndyCars at Charlotte again? It's interesting. I actually just watched the onboard video right before uh, before calling in, and to see the speed there was, was crazy. I mean, it's like 14 seconds on a 2.2, 2.3-mile road course. That's a, that's a massive number. I mean, you know, you would have expected low double digits, and Joseph wasn't even going full beans. There'd probably be some slight track modifications, but I think really the big, the big driver is NBC. I think NBC wants to see IndyCar and NASCAR together on a weekend. Obviously, it's not happening for 20. I think it's an outside shot for 21 22 is by that point you'll have had one year of whatever the new nascar schedule is looking like in 21 to maybe that frees up okay you know indycar frankly with their new set of regs or new car or new new chassis new engine formula coming in 22 that's when i think this new opportunity is, is starting to arise yeah i've been saying for five years now you know the the powers to be better start thinking of this as a, a almost like a co-op as as opposed to an a, 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 you know adversaries uh, when yeah, it comes to motorsports because you know motorsports is struggling and you, you look across the board not just NASCAR but IndyCar now is is had some gains okay great you know uh, TV numbers are up what nine ten eleven percent in that but they're so low to begin with that's the other side of the coin that they're not telling you. So, I mean, yeah, it's great to see the interest building. And there's been a lot of positive, uh, positivity on in the IndyCar paddock. But, I mean, I think it's, it would be a win-win, especially at, at a place like Charlotte, uh, if you saw uh, an IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader at, on the Roval. Because, let's face it, you're never going to see uh, IndyCars on that Oval at Charlotte ever again. No, 100%. And I think I think you're right. They need each other. And both series kind of have their own set of new wave of talent coming through, too. You know, there's a Colton Herta or a Rosenquist or Ferrucci or, jo you know, Joseph and Rossi. They're the new blood. You know, they're five, six, seven years into their careers. You know, NASCAR's at the same point where you see like a Blaney, a Logano, a, you know, even the guys like Kyle Busch and Harvick are getting older now to where this new guys, they're more collaborative and they want to have – the things work together. If, if Boyer's mind's getting blown, imagine what the guys that are, you know, closer to, to that age range that more social media savvy, like posting IndyCar videos on NASCAR channels, that increases awareness to that front. So I see a lot more positives, and I think we've reached a, a critical point where we can't have competing odds and competing interests anymore when you've got a lot more common partners. Uh, next year with Andretti Autosport, uh, Colton Herta moving back over there even though they were kind of, it was kind of a partnership where they were. Uh, is it going to be Rossi and Herta basically the the big two at and Andretti next year? Andretti with their twelve car lineup. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think those two are the clear favorites. And and what was interesting this year is Colton seemed to have a better permanent road course package where they were, you know, their setup seemed to be ahead of where Rossi's was, and you had clear tiers where. You know, Connor was third or fourth among the guys. Hunter Ray's been hit or miss. Veach and Marco have been nowhere. You know, so long as they don't break up the Colton and Nathan O'Rourke engineering package, um, Barnhart's been okay on the strategy side. 
it'll be interesting to see what that fusion is if they, you know, take too much Andretti's side because they're known for long debriefs. And, you know, are they going to be like, okay, this is this is the path we need to go down? Or, you know, it'll be interesting to see if the other guys bounce back because you want to have three to four competitive horses in a team. Penske's had all three of their guys all year, whereas Andretti had, you know, one and a half. I was looking at the point standings. Okay, you're looking, okay, blah, okay, I can see this. You know, you're looking through who finished where. Uh, the one that really kind of like locked, knocked me for a loop was uh, because of his uh, running of pretty well the last three races. Tony Kanan passed uh, Marco Andretti in the final points. And Tony Kanan had an awful, awful year, as did AJ Foyt Racing. Can we fix Marco Andretti? What is going on there? It was a weird dynamic this year where it felt like and, and i saw him briefly at portland which is the last indycar race i was out to two races ago just the attitude the the temperament and the just the feel has not not been there all year and it's, it's been hard to diagnose because he's had a couple off years mm-hmm. um but he was ninth last year and he fell to 16th this year i mean he's only had like three top fives in the last four years so and i don't know if it's set up i don't know if it's younger guys that are better within the team i don't know if he's got so much outside of it i mean he's bought into his own team now so he's clearly showing he's still invested in it but the thing that really threw me about marco this year was on ovals he was nowhere like mm-hmm. the 500 and pocono and texas were some of the worst times he's at like he's not even remotely competitive in those and i and i don't know what it is i you feel like there's a handful of guys that were good in the you know late irl early merge years guys that are not they're not quite at the caliber of where the fields come with, with a lot of the new the newcomers over the last two to three years. And you, you, you fear that the time's passed him by, but he's not going to step out until, he's, until he wants to. You wonder if, if you know, because there comes a point where he's going to be involved in the sport and most likely yeah. on an ownership side, and he should be. I mean, he is an asset. I mean, he speaks well. I mean, you and I have done interviews with him. I mean, he's an asset to the sport. I don't think there's any real negative low. I mean, you get the you know the people on social media. Oh, you can't drive this and that. But I'm saying uh, generally he's good for the sport. He's he's still very popular. Uh, and you wonder, ha, you wonder if Michael's had that conversation yet. I'm I, I gotta knowing Michael, and he, there there's got to be I think between them sitting down somewhere where you know there there's there's got to be a five year plan where the, he's stepping aside within five years, correct? I I don't see how he doesn't. I mean, the team's going to go through a bit of a transition next year anyway, where mm-hmm. Marco, I think Hunter Ray for sure, and Veach are out of contract at the end of 20. I don't know where Marco's status is. I mean, obviously he's got to see as long as he wants one, but there's clearly going to have to be a plan to transition him into as much an ambassadorial role because you're right. He is good for the sport, and I think he's a mis- most un- mis- misunderstood guy. It's just that he never – there was nothing there were so many races this year i didn't even know he was in them. Mm-hmm. the only the only time yeah. i even noticed he was in it was when he was still incredible when he made the switch to slicks at detroit when the track was drying out and you know you got the onboard laps and he got screwed when the field didn't get reordered so but those those events are few and far between now where it's like you get one or two where did he come from kind of races and the other 14 or 15 are, are non-starters uh you're a betting man you got to place a bet. Uh, where is Connor Daly going to be driving next year? 
I spoke to him on the grid at, at Monterey, um, not for the, the IndyCar weekend, but the uh, the sports car weekend the week before it. His best shot is in the second McLaren car. I don't know if they're really ready to pull the trigger on that yet. Okay. Um, but he's shown enough this year to merit a spot. Frankly, I think it would almost be better for him to be full season at Carlin, where he'd be the lead guy, as opposed to a lot of pressure he seems to thrive better in kind of lower pressure environments. And mm-hmm. un- unfortunately, you know, through no fault of his own, he got completely knocked out of Portland when he was having a really good weekend filling in there last minute. And then again, the Andretti setups were just off at Laguna to where he wasn't able to show what he wanted to show, which was I've got a test day. I've got, you know, the crew that did so well at Indy, you know, I'd love to see him in the second McLaren car. I'm not a hundred percent sure it'll happen. And I think, if Carlin can make it work to where he'd be their lead guy, I'd, I'd like to see him there because I think he's, he really helped that team in his starts this year take them from a low-level team to a solid midfield contender that was easily punching above their weight. True or false, will James Hinchcliffe be in a Honda next year? I've heard both. I mean, okay, I'll say, so have I. <laughs> I mean, I mean as, as of you, right? Yeah. I have it on pretty good authority from a couple sources that he'll stay in that McLaren Arrow, Schmidt Peterson, or Spam, or whatever we're calling it, Chevrolet. Honda would not mind having an opportunity for him. It's just I worry how much are they going to get in the weeds on contractual stuff. Right. Like where where do they want to where do they want to invest? And you know I say this with all appreciation of Hinch and what he is at the sport from a personality standpoint, but from a performance standpoint. You know, the guy's not finished better than eighth in the points in his whole career, and Rosenquist and Herta have finished ahead of that in their first year. So do I like Hinch? I like him a lot. Do I like him to lead a team? I don't know. I don't know what if there's that capability, as, as we've seen over the years. Can you uh, stick over one more segment and talk some F1 with us? Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll be right back with Tony DeZeno talking some Formula One as they're in Russia this weekend on the Final Inspection Show. Back to the final inspection show brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with David Hobbs Honda joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It is Tony DeZeno making his triumphant return to the Wisconsin dairy land. Tony, thank you for joining the show once again. Yeah, of course. Uh, Formula One. We had uh, the Singapore Grand Prix and a little bit of controversy, or is it? I mean, uh, Leclerc should have won the race, they say. Uh, and then with uh, with pit strategy from the team, uh, Sebastian Vettel was able to take the lead and undercut his teammate with Max Verstappen uh, taking third. Is there a, is there a controversy there? Was that just a kind of a uh, kind of help? Uh, let's help our number one driver out here, or what's going on? I think it was a case where Ferrari inadvertently got their strategy completely right. They didn't, you know, for for years we've always ripped on Ferrari's strategy plays. They've had a new team principal this year, and the undercut at Singapore is so um, important, where it's a longer pit lane and a shorter pit speed limit, um, so where you can instead of it being like a 21, 22 seconds, it's 27 seconds. So, you know, frankly, from a confidence standpoint, Vettel needed a win. 
Leclerc admitted this weekend in Russia, he kind of overreacted on the radio. It was just like, I'm pretty mad. I mean, if you're Ferrari and you have an opportunity to do a one-two, you take it. Um, so, and they haven't had one of those in ages. So I was looking this up I and mean, Ferrari is not, or no team has only has won three races in a row outside of Mercedes. Mm-hmm. That's only the second time that's happened in the turbo hybrid era where Mercedes has gone three races in a row without winning. And now Ferrari, lo and behold, has gotten firing on all cylinders where if they're getting their strategy right, both their guys are winning races and Leclerc's ascended the way he has. I mean, it's, it's remarkable the turnaround they've made. It really is. And it, it, let's face it. I mean, the job for the team is to finish one, two. I mean, you're. I mean, the money in for in F1 is is in team where the team finishes and, and team points and whatnot. So, I mean, yeah, overall, yeah, and it, and it, I suppose it would help massages, uh, you know, Vettel's uh, Vettel's ego. But I think a lot of the uh, credit does have to go to uh, uh, Matteo Binotto, who's got the best eyeglasses in auto racing, I think. Uh, but you know, his he's kind of. Even keelness has really helped uh, bring that team together, hasn't it? I love it. I mean, there's a temperament there, and and it just a calm that doesn't usually exist around Ferrari. I, speaking as the resident Italian, everyone is just yelling and screaming and talking mm-hmm. with their hands and like, why didn't this go right? Why didn't this? And it's the first time, you know, you almost wish that their their car would have been more sorted in the first half of the year because they lost at least two or three possible wins. Leclerc lost one in Austria. He crashed in Baku in qualifying. They had the, the electrical issue that stopped him in Bahrain or be a lot closer in the championship right now. I mean, it's a, it's a shame that, you know, for the improved performance that there's not a championship on the line for them because they're, they're firing on all cylinders. And I think you're right. I think the attitude change at the top has made a huge difference. And Leclerc for winning his fourth pole in a, in a row this morning, at, at Sochi, uh, and I'm, I, you know, I thought it was so impressive. It looked like a, Fer- you know, it was Ferrari, fast two, you know, practice one, you know, qualifying, and then right at the end, Lewis Hamilton put together a lap and was able to to bounce uh, Vettel off the front row. Uh, Mercedes is still out there though; they're, they're they're still the shark in the water, aren't they? They're generally better on strategy than Ferrari, although, like I said, Ferrari's gotten a lot better. I think the big issue they're facing right now is they they genuinely have a top speed deficit where they're down, and that, that first straight there at Sochi, I mean, Hamilton's like, if I don't draft him, if I don't toe up and get past him to turn one, it, it might be ball game at that point. And now in a, in a somewhat roundabout way, yeah, he did a great qualifying lap to qualify second, but now he's starting on the dirty line where Vettel's on the clean line in third. So are the, you know, if the two Ferrari guys get a clean start, Hamilton might not have a shot. So this is the – it's funny to call Mercedes looking on the back foot and vulnerable when they're still going to win both championships. But mm-hmm. this is definitely the first time in, in a four- or five-year period where it looks like, gee, we're not the dominant force that we have been. Um, and the fact that Ferrari's doing it on circuits where Mercedes has traditionally shown, that, that speaks volumes. Yeah, it certainly does. And uh, turning our uh, – Looking at the Haas, the, the American Formula One team, Romain Grosjean, it's such a frustrating person. <laughs> you know, not, not, not the guy, not the feel-good, rah, rah, rah guy, is he? And it just seems like, I, I hate, he, he just seems like a wet blanket. I just would not be want to be a crew guy for him. And and then they, they, they decide to, to hire him again for next year, renew his contract, and, but then he goes out and qualifies eighth today. 
I, I don't know what to do. I, is it, what, what, what's going on there? That team and that driver might be the most perplexing thing to figure out in Formula One because they had done such steady progression for three years, and then this year they've had a car that doesn't work well with the tires at any point, but yet sometimes it does, and then they qualified Q3 when their last race they were the second slowest car, like, easily. Grosjean in particular is like, I don't know if his attitude within the team is better than it comes across in, in to our world because the way we look at him, it's like, oh, this guy's got a terrible perception. He's the new Maldonado in a sense because he crashes a lot, but yet he does have a – I wonder if they like have this some – I don't want to call it perverse, but some strange sense of loyalty to him where it's like you were the guy that established us and put us on the board that scored all our points in the first year. And, you know, even as we're going through a tough point where we don't know what our car is, we'd still rather mess with you – because we know you rather than take a chance on someone else. It's, it is strange though, because there are a lot of guys that you think would probably be worth a shot if they had the opportunity. Going back to Singapore. Um, I think it's visually from, from the television point of view, one of the, the, the greatest things in racing. I mean, I, I, you know, with, with Singapore, I, I, I end up looking more at the background and the stuff going on than sometimes what's on track. Uh, can you think of another venue that it's, it's as visually stunning as, as Singapore? Within the F1 calendar? Yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's, it's a, you know, Monaco is the obvious, but I think Singapore is even better than, than Monaco. I think it's more, it's more spectacular, and I think it's more – kind of forward-looking, more cutting-edge. I think Monaco, you think of, like, old money. Singapore, you think of, like, new money. And it's, like, it's kind of glitz and glamour. Abu Dhabi kind of comes close with the start um, and when they have the the hotel lit up there in the background. But, you know, there's there's not the same soul there, if that makes sense. I think there's a genuine soul and energy at Singapore that, you know, is unmatched anywhere on the calendar. And F1 tries to replicate it with other street races that are coming down the pike. Vietnam next year will be interesting, and then they're going to have – you know, a huge orange crush that will descend on the on Zandvoort when that comes back on the calendar in April or May. I don't remember right. exactly, but it's early part of the season. I asked Eddie Eddie Lapine this last week. Does does Vietnam actually happen? He's like, eh, I don't think so. What, what about you? I think it will. Okay. I think F one. I think the F one Chiefs are they can't. They've not really been able to get any new races off the ground since the Liberty periods come in there. So I think there's a. I think there's a task and importance that they need to get it going. Even though it's going to make life miserable for the teams with a 22 race schedule, which is the the longest on record. Talking to Tony Dezino on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Final final question, uh, Tony McLaren going to Mercedes power uh, next or in 2021. Uh, they're starting to get their stuff together, aren't they? They are, and it's almost like you know the the, the what year is it gift from uh, from social media to come back when you see that return. Um, but good on them. I mean, they, there's been a renewed energy to, in that team all year. They have great new leadership. Andreas Seidel, the former Porsche chief, is their new uh, team principal under Zach Brown, and and Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris are just this really great experience versus youth package where they're poking fun at each other but they're mutually lifting the program forward i mean it's it's honestly been one of the more refreshing things to see is them actually genuinely competitive and you almost wonder you know great as alonzo is was he toxic for that atmosphere the fact that they're now 
back in a position where they can get the best power unit uh, in 20, from 2021. I mean, you know, if they can get a fluky third or fourth next year, you know, get fourth in the championship, they can be back in proper podium contention in 22, and that'd that'd be great to see for the sport. It certainly would, Tony. We certainly appreciate you taking time out and uh, tell everybody uh, I said hi tonight, and I want some photos. So uh, make sure you text over some photos tonight as I'm at my buddy's house watching the four crown races. Yeah, sounds sounds good. But appreciate you guys always having me on. So uh, all right, all good. Tony Dezino joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019? Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank, providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. We'll be back after this on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in the Grove, along with David Hobbs Honda, Steve Zotke, Jeff Rolowski. Good show so far. Absolutely. Uh, appreciate you uh, being on the show. And, of course, Dennis Michelson, too, from DMAC Media. Uh, appreciate talking some NASCAR with him. And Tony DeZeno making triumphant return. Yeah, that was nice, man. It's good to hear Tony. He always brings the good stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, even though it's only for, for a week, welcome back. Yeah. And uh, it's um, Martin Truex. We're going to be hearing from Martin Truex coming up here. And you got to think that he's probably the favorite, right? If, if, if you're placing a vet in, in Vegas, Martin Truex is right up there for your champion, right? Yeah, absolutely. He kind of flew under the radar uh, the middle part of the season, you know, um, and he wasn't talked about all that much. But, uh, you know, you win the first two playoff races back-to-back – you know, it's hard to say you're not the favorite. They definitely, they're hitting their stride and, you know, maybe played a little possum during the uh, middle part of the season working on stuff for the final 10 races. It almost seems he's a little Jimmy Johnson-like. Yeah. Pacing it. It's a long season. Yep. You know, let's 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 just deal, you know, something that I'm sure the Bucks are going to do this year. We learned last year, you know, they played so well throughout the season and then the playoffs come, okay, oh boy, they're starting to, now we're having some issues. And then you look at the Brewers. Oh, these guys are now, and you know what? They're getting hot at the right time. So, yeah. And you see that too. How many times did Jimmy Johnson do that? And I think there's a bit of that with Martin Truex where he just seems like, hey, now he's starting to pick up things. He's right there. Damn good team. He's a good driver. Seems like everything is kind of molding into one, isn't it? Yeah. And I think you're going to see, I'm surprised it's taken this long to see it. You know, if you win early in the season and you guarantee your playoff spot, I think you're foolish not to sit there and kind of work on things for the last 10 races and the playoff tracks and to sit there and and pace yourself. Because, like you said, it is a long season. You could get burned out. And, uh, you know, if you know you're in, obviously you want to win the regular season title because it comes with – you know, 25 bonus playoff points. But uh, if you know that you're not going to do that, and Kyle Busch usually has that locked up uh, pretty early. So, you know, you might as well just sit there and kind of play possum and and work on your stuff for later in the year. Well, let's hear from uh, Martin Truex now on the Final Inspection Show. 
Nate Ryan, NBC Sports. Uh, Martin, I apologize if maybe you've been asked this before in light of the road course success you've had the last few years, but like, how does a guy from New Jersey who grew up racing like go-karts, modifieds, late models on ovals, how, how, did, how did you become so good at, at turning left and right? Uh, I actually first, the first go-kart racing I did was all on road courses. Um, so that was a little bit of it, kind of getting that mentality and just kind of getting what it takes to do that in your brain. But, um, you know, growing up, uh, racing modifieds, we didn't do road courses, but in the Bush North series we did. So my first years racing stock cars, there was a few road courses mixed in there. And then of course, moving up to Xfinity, um, you know, we won in Mexico, we raced Watkins Glen. So it's just, I've had enough of it throughout my uh, my past, I think, to understand it, um, to figure out the things I was good at and the things I needed to work on. And just, you know, going back each and every year, just try to continue to pick those things apart. I always loved it. Always did. Yes, sir. All right. We're going to continue questions with Greg up front. <clears throat> uh, Martin Greg Engel, Auto Week. Um, we have the most recently crowned IndyCar champion here today. Um, he's going to be doing some laps. Can you, from a, this is a, kind of a two-part question. From, from your perspective, from a race car, professional race car driver's perspective, what do you think of the differences between IndyCar and NASCAR? And, and um, the race cars and, and how you would race them. And also on a scale of 0 to 10, 10 being um, give me IndyCar's number and 0 being all hell no, would you ever consider jumping over there for a race or two, maybe not in Indy 500, but, you know, road course or something like that? Um, I'm going to say that's probably like a, on a 1 to 10, it's probably like a 2. <laughs> so it's not a, it's not a definitely not, but um, it's so far away from what I've done my whole career, and, and I'm not that young. So um, stock cars are suited me well, so I don't plan on making the jump. But um, difference-wise, I mean, they're completely different. Right. I mean, you, you know, Indy cars, you know, an inch and a half off the ground. It's it probably weighs quite a bit less than what our cars do, has similar horsepower, maybe more and w way more downforce. So um, rear engine, just it, it's just completely different, you know, race car, uh, everything about it. I'm, I, and I'm, I'm assuming the way you drive it as well. So, um, yeah, definitely worlds apart. Uh, I hope to be able to watch. Yes. All right, I had a couple questions here in the middle. We'll take Daniel and Lewis, and then we'll get on to our left-hand side here. Go ahead. Uh, Daniel McFadden with uh, NBC Sports. Uh, Martin, can you, can you just give us a little bit of feedback on what you think about the new chicane layout on the backstretch, and also, given the, how it's configured now, how do you think that would have impacted the last lap of this race last year and how it unfolded? Yeah, I... I so far, I think it's a good change. Um, I like that it's an actual braking zone and it's actual, you, you slow down, you make a turn left, turn right, got to get the power down and leave there. So it's a lot more technical than what it was. Last year, it was just like a Hail Mary every time you went through there, trying to, you know, because you're it, really last year, all you would do is slow down just enough to get to third gear and you're right back in the throttle through that thing. And it was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty hairy as we've seen, obviously. And then with the wall coming out, we've seen the guys get their cars completely destroyed by making a little mistake. So um, there's a lot less on the line there. Now, you, if you miss the chicane, you can stop. It's like Watkins Glen, right? So uh, you pay a lot less of a price if you if you mess up a little bit or overshoot the corner. Um, as far as the racing goes, I think it'll be a good braking zone. I think it's potential to make passes there, a lot like we see at the bus stop Watkins Glen. 
who can get in there deeper on the breaks and will you both make it in? So um, that, there'll be definitely uh, potential for that. So it should be add another passing zone. And, and I think it won't keep the chicane on NASCAR turn four from being a passing zone as well. So I think it just adds another element to the race and um, a little bit more technical section, which is good, I think. Um, I probably would have just got hit one corner sooner, I'm guessing. <laughs> All right. Lewis, you have the microphone. Go ahead. Yeah, Lewis Frank of Rory's. First, thanks for not running me over in the tunnel. No problem. And uh, you got to watch your back around here. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm used to jaywalking in New York City. Uh, how, how relatable is the sim to, to running the actual course these days and the heat? Um, I, I think it depends on the driver, the person, the, the you know, specific individual. Um, you know, for me, I'd say not that much. You know, I, I'd say I used it a lot more early in my career, um, trying to learn little things here and there. Once you kind of know your style, you just try to kind of adapt that to the racetrack. So it's hard to do that in a simulator, but I do it to help the team um, get prepared, try set up things, um, you know, try to validate certain things and correlate things to what we do in real life. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Go ahead. Mike Salarte, special <coughs> news here in the camera row. When basketball players continually hit shots, they say they're in the zone. You're two for two in the playoffs. Are you and your team feeling it right now? I mean, is this as good as it's been consistently the last couple of weeks for you guys? Yeah, I think we're feeling good, you know. Um, but it's, you know, the funny thing about our sport is every weekend is such a different challenge. You know, I mean, you, you look at the last two weeks, nothing we really did prepares you for the Roval. So it's... Uh, we get a lot of curveballs thrown at us in the sport, and that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it a huge challenge. But as far as the team goes, I feel good about things, and everybody's clicking. Everybody's, um, you know, working hard and, and looking for more all the time. So, um, you know, I think our approach is good, and, you know, we'll just continue to take these things one at a time and, and do the best we can with it. All right, Woody, and then Jeff. Woody came with MRN. Martin, uh, this whole uh, early part of the playoffs setting up really well for you. You go to Dover next week where you also – one earlier, but in relation to Dover and, and a lot of these tracks that you're going back to for the second time, how much better can we expect not just you, but everybody to be once they've seen these tracks with this package a second time and specifically with you at Dover? Yeah, for sure. I think it's, um, I think you definitely have to find some things to be better uh, each time you go back. We were able to do that at Richmond last week, which was a big deal for us and for our team. So, um, you know, even though we won that race in the spring, it was like, okay, we know the things we need to get better at. How do we do that? And, and the guys were able to do a good job uh, in that department. So hopefully, you know, going to Dover is the same. Um, yeah, we ran well. Our car was good. But we know, you know, guys are building better cars, faster cars, better stuff, and, and have a better understanding of that track and, and this package with it. So it's been a, a huge learning curve all year, really, because of the rules being so different. And you just you can you constantly have to keep chasing speed and trying to find more. All right, Jeff, go ahead. Jeff Gluck from The Athletic back here. Um, obviously, you know, it seems like your biggest competition for the championship so far is coming within your own team, and it's been like that for a while. How do you navigate that relationship? Because, I mean, it doesn't seem like you guys are friends. You're not on the Golf Guys Tour with Denny or something. You're not hanging out with Kyle. But you obviously are, you know, you have that teammate relationship. So how do you go through that on a week-to-week -week basis and not uh, let sort of a rivalry creep in? Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, we're, we're hired to all do a job. You know, we're professionals. And, you know, when we get in the meetings together, our job is to, 
talk about our cars, share the information, you know, respect each other. And obviously I think, you know, with, without it even being mandatory, I think we all get along well, honestly, and, and have mutual respect for each other, what we've done on and off the racetrack throughout the years. And uh, I mentioned even, I think last week that, you know, Kyle and I, Denny and I, we've raced together a long time. We came up together. We've, um, you know, been competitors on the racetrack for a long time and have a lot of respect for each other. And, and Eric has been a great addition to the team the past few seasons and, and the same with him. So, uh, you know, you give respect, you get respect. And, and I think all of us do a good job of, of balancing that, um, you know, being kind, being nice, doing what's best for the team, but going out on Sunday and giving everything we have to beat each other. All right, go ahead. Yeah, Martin right here, Hill Overton, WIXE Radio, Monroe. <clears throat> you, unlike the other tracks and road course races, you pit in the conventional manner with the pit wall to your left here. Do you see that as a good comfort thing for you, a better level than if you have to pit with the pit wall on the right? Yeah, I think for the pit crews, it's a big deal, you know, just because that's the routine they're used to. Um, you know, they only do it the other way, Watkins Glen, and it's, and, and, you know, as much as they practice for that coming up, it's always slower, right? I mean, they always have more problems. It's more difficult. It's just it's not natural for them. So just more natural for the pit crews. I think as the drivers, we don't really, we don't really, you know, it doesn't change either way. We kind of hit our marks and try to put the car in the box the way it was supposed to be. And uh, it doesn't really matter what side. But for the pit crew, for their routine, it's huge. All right, go ahead in the back. Seth Edgar, Motorsports Tribune, all the way back here. Uh, Martin, about two weeks ago, we lost Mike Stefanik, and you raced with him in the Bush North Series. What did he mean to you uh, racing with him back then? Yeah, I mean, just uh, his success over the years and, and how long he went uh, winning races and championships was amazing. I can remember watching uh, watching him as a kid, you know, growing up, watching my dad race and, and then moving up through the ranks and getting to race with guys like Mike. And, uh, you know, just a, just an awesome competitor, a true champion, uh, a great guy off the racetrack. And, uh, you know, obviously a tough, a tough thing for, uh, for the, especially the modified guys and just the Northeast racing scene in general. He was a hero up there and, uh, you know, pretty tragic how it all happened. So we were all thinking about his family. All right. We'll take one final question up front from Marissa. Uh, Mercifuller, NASCAR.com. Quick question just regarding the foundation. Um, I know you guys are doing the steering wheel event auction this weekend. Just wanted to know 31 drivers are driving your steering wheel, and they'll be auctioned off later. What has that kind of meant to you? How did that come into um, play? I know um, just with September being a varian cancer awareness month, but um, what has it meant to you to get all that support? Yeah, it's been incredible, really. The support for our foundation in general throughout the garage, throughout the industry has been has been uh, just amazing. Um, you know, whether it's our Catwalk for Cars event back in May here uh, in, in town, or the steering wheel program. Um, you know, I think we have 33 of the cup drivers this weekend. Uh, it's it's amazing to be a part of that. So uh, it's it, it was a great idea. I think Sherry was the one that came up with it, which is not surprising. But, um, you know, just to see the level of, of respect and, um, you know, just having guys willing to do it means so much. And, you know, I, I know it probably is a little odd for them to be driving the race car against me this weekend seeing my name on their steering wheel um, but it, it really is uh, a big deal it goes to 100 um, percent of the proceeds go to the foundation which will help women and children uh, battling cancer and, and ovarian cancer so we're very thankful for that and um, you know no one does it better than nascar when it comes to foundations and charities and um, you know whether it's dale jr's gloves or my steering wheels or you know jimmy johnson does visor strips every year anytime anyone asks for the most part, 80% of the garage, 85% of the garage says absolutely. So 
uh, goes a long way and um, means a lot to us at the Martin Truex Jr. Foundation. Well, Martin, we thank you for spending time with us today, and we wish you, you the best of luck this weekend. Thank you. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan you just heard from Martin Truex. We're going to go back out to Charlotte and bring you some uh, from William Byron. He met with the media out there at the racetrack. Again, want to say thank you to uh, Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media for joining the show and Tony DeZeno as well. Uh, we hope you guys have a great weekend and enjoy all the racing here is William Byron from Charlotte Motor Speedway. Hi, William. Um, Greg, hey, how's it going? Out a week. Um, good to see you, pal. Um, Joseph Newgarden's going to be doing some laps this afternoon. I know you guys are all interested. And, you know, your whole life's been in full-body cars, but can you compare from a driver's perspective what you think the differences are between an Indy car and a NASCAR race car? And would you ever consider jumping over that series for a one-off or maybe a full-time if the right opportunity came up? Yeah, I mean... I have never been in um, anything that doesn't have a roof, you know, outside of a go-kart. So I don't really know, but I think that it's, um, it looks awesome. And just from talking to Max and I've actually carted with Joseph a couple times at the motorplex up there. Um, you know, so it's, I mean, I try to learn from them and the biggest thing I think is probably the difference in, um, you know, airflow obviously. And then, um, you know, they don't really have power steering in those Indy cars at least. So that, that's gotta be tough. So, um, but yeah, I'd love to race one at, at some point. It'd be awesome. I think, uh, it'd be really cool. I'm still young. So I still got a lot of, hopefully an opportunity at some point. Come on. Someone's got one. All right, Nate. Nate Ryan, NBC Sports. William, I'll ask you the same thing I just asked Ryan, which is that uh, last lap of the Roval last year, Truex uh, said if he would, could do it over again, he would just straight line the chicane and make NASCAR make a judgment call because he, he went through the turn and that when he was coming out, exiting the final turn, that was when he got hit by Jimmy who was spinning behind him. So I'm just wondering, like, if, if you're in that situation um, this year where you've got a car, say, spinning behind you or in front of you or whatever, and you're worried about Na NASCAR making a call that could potentially affect a win or result, um, would you rather put the onus on them and make them make the call, or, or would you still run the corner? Or is it like an in-the-moment decision there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I would run the corner because I think that, you know, you can't expect them – you can't expect them to to give you the the benefit of the doubt, you know, the rules, the rule. And I think they've been pretty, pretty uh, stickler to those things lately, you know, whether it's pit road or anything. So I, I would be really hard pressed to, you know, just cut it short and and hope that they make the call that I want them to make, I guess. But I mean, there's really nothing you can do if somebody's spinning there and they and they collect you. I mean, I think it's just it just is um, bad luck, really. So I don't know. I mean. I think we'll be reaching that chicane a little bit slower this year, so it might not be quite as easy to, like, spin out locking up the tires, but we still saw in practice it's really easy to lock up the tires in general. So um, I don't really know. I, I would try to run the, the chicane there, maybe just stop and let him spin, but I don't, I don't really know. KellyCrandallRacer.com. William, with only a two-point buffer on the cut line, where's the balance between playing offense versus defense this weekend? And Chad was in a similar situation with Jimmy in this race last year. Has he expressed how he might uh, approach this race from a strategy standpoint for your team? Yeah, I mean, we're just going to try to get max points. So try to, you know, the best thing to do would be to qualify really well today and then start that first stage and maybe, you know, win or win that first stage or, or be up in the top three or four would be awesome. 
And then I think outside of that, you know, then you kind of play your strategy based on that. But, um, you know, it, it seems like if you have good track position, you can score points pretty easily in stage two. And then that sets you up for a good race finish. Um, you just got to kind of see how the strategy plays out. But I, I would say we just go for the stage points as much as we can. And, and hopefully that final run of the race, there's enough cautions and things where we can gain some track position back. All right. I believe Woody. Steve, and then Daniel. Woody came with MRN. William, look ahead to week four at Dover, especially since you're going back with this package to some of these tracks a second time. How much difference are you, how many gains are you guys making when you go back a second time, as, and specifically as it relates to Dover? Yeah, that's a track that I'm really looking forward to and really optimistic about. I mean, um, you know, Chad's had a lot of success there, and we had a really good car there in the spring. We just, um, we, I think we took two tires and we got trapped way in the back and we restarted like 30th and finished eighth. So, um, you know, we, I think we had a really good car there. Um, so we just got to try to build on that. I think it's going to come be better for us. I think the speed wise will be better going there in the fall. So, uh, we just got to get through this race and hopefully have an opportunity to go there and, and compete for it. Dale McFadden with, uh, NBC sports. William, how, how confident are you feeling about this weekend given the performance you had at like Sonoma early, earlier this year. And how would you compare these two tracks, those two tracks? Yeah, I would say that, um, this track is probably more similar to Sonoma. Now that the, the chicane in the back stretches is, is like it is, I would say, um, I mean the, the front and back chicane are, are definitely fast parts of the racetrack, but, um, that whole infield section is really similar to Sonoma. So, uh, you know, obviously we, we ran well there uh, for the most part during the race. We This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.